So I'm always happy to talk about Raina because I am truly one of her biggest fans. She has a lot of fans. <laughs> um, and I've met them. They're adorable. And um, the thing about Raina is she really helped pave the way for this kind of graphic novel, in my opinion. Welcome to The Yarn, a Backpack Media production. That voice you just heard was Jennifer Holm. She was talking about Raina Telgemeier, creator of graphic novels Smile, Drama, and Sisters, three books that helped pave the way for Holm's new book, Sunny Side Up, illustrated by her brother Matthew. This season, we're looking at that one book, Sunny Side Up, from all angles. Because while only two names appear on the cover, there are a lot of people who helped make it a reality. But before we talk to anyone else, we had to track down the face of the current graphic novel craze. We had to talk to Raina. So Colby and I flew to New York. Colby booked the flight. Colby booked the hotel. Colby arranged the interview to take place at the Scholastic offices in Manhattan. He gave me one job. So we're lost in New York City. <laughs> New York City Navigator. Travis is in charge of Subway and we're standing on the corner of 7th and 48. Travis, what's going on? Just trying to figure things out. Um... Don't worry. We made it. Eventually. We recording? Yeah, recording. Wow. Okay. It's real. I mean, for me, I... I thought I was going to be an artist. I didn't realize books were going to be a part of that equation. But looking back, we had so many books in my house. And I'm the first of three kids. And it would make sense that by the third kid, there would be more books in the house than when the first kid came along. But there were a lot of books in my house from the time I was a baby. And my mother read to me probably every day, probably multiple times a day. Um, and it just expanded as more kids came into our family. And I remember being eight years old and having a baby brother and still reading those picture books and still being part of that reading community that was in my house. And um, my mom also kept on reading the same books that I did as I got a little bit older. So when I was nine years old, 10 years old, she would read the Babysitter's Club books alongside me and then we would talk about them. So it wasn't like a book club in my house officially, but there was, there was a lot of uh, back and forth between both of my parents and I as far as what I was interested in. And when I got into comics as, as a nine-year-old kid, it was my dad who kind of picked up that thread and was like, hey, you like comics, let's talk about comics. And he would take me to the store and we would buy comics together and it was just, it was great. And as far as the art part, um, we had a very small apartment if you've read Sisters, you may know that there were five of us in a very small two-bedroom apartment with one bathroom. And as we got older, my parents moved into the living room as their bedroom because they wanted us each to have um, some space. And there was always space for art. Even in that small, small home environment, we had plenty of table space and plenty of art supplies and, and things to experiment with. And then they took us to art classes and art camp. And so I always had the time and the space for creating stuff. From the time I was in kindergarten, first grade, I always had teachers who were paying attention. And they all saw that I was an artist. And they all encouraged me. 
and I sort of became the kid who draws and they let that be okay and I wasn't that good at lots of other things I couldn't play sports and I couldn't I wasn't that socially um graceful <laughs> so I always had my art and and I I I can't even point to one specific teacher it was all of them um when I hit middle school I went to sort of an alternative elementary school and then went to super public city middle school where the arts curriculum was not valued over some of the other things that were going on at the school. But, you know, we had electives. We still had art. We still had music. And those were always my favorite classes and always my favorite times of the day. But I can also say that throughout my entire school career, my academic teachers also kind of let me be an artist. So if there was a book report to be done, I could illustrate it. And if there was, if we had to do an oral report, I was always welcome to bring visuals along and be comfortable um, expressing myself that way. And I'm really grateful for that encouragement. I started making my own comics when I was about 10 or 11. And started kind of trying to ape the comic strip format with the three panels and then a punchline and set up and then a joke and trying to create you know funny characters to write comic strips about and it just didn't click it didn't click at all but when i was in middle school starting in sixth grade i was keeping a diary as a comic so i started drawing in my diary and i started illustrating my entries and started uh basically making comics about my life every single day and I did that every day from sixth grade all the way until the end of college so that was like the best practice I could possibly have for what would end up being my career and I think that kind of speaks to the idea that you should do what you love and what it is that you do every day on your own anyway might end up being the thing that you do in your career so I wouldn't have known that when I was 11 I just knew I was making stuff that was fun for me but I couldn't show anybody those comics because they were all really personal. They were all about the cute boy that I talked to during sixth period. The, the sad truth is that I threw 99% of those comics away when I moved out of my mom's house because I didn't want anyone to ever see them. But I think it was just writing them down made it easier for me to remember. And so 20 years later, when I started working on Smile, it was not that hard to channel those memories and to access them. Um, and maybe that's just what the art of journaling is good for. But I, I wish I had them. I wish I could go back and, and read my actual journal diaries from seventh grade and see what I felt at the time. I was drawing comics about my life and writing in a diary, and then Live Journal came along in the mid-aughts. And suddenly I was writing Live Journal posts, and people were responding to them. And I felt like, oh, this is so exciting in a totally different way. And I, I have to say that that sort of killed my, my instincts and it killed some of my, my enthusiasm for writing things down in a private fashion. Um, and sometimes I think about why I journaled and why I drew and why I spent so many hours by myself as a kid making things in my room. And I think because I was drawing my friends and I was drawing people that I knew, I was kind of imagining myself spending time with them when I was by myself. So for me, drawing in my room alone was like my way of being with my friends um, when I couldn't see them. And then when the internet came along, 
that kind of went away because now you can be with your friends all the time. They are always in your pocket. So I, I feel sad for that loss, but now I sort of like I'm chasing that same feeling in other ways. I actually started the Babysitter's Club and Smile at the same time. So I'd been making short story comics about my life. I was drawing mini comics. I was kind of doing just just anything that came to mind as a story. Um, and I knew that I wanted to talk about my teeth. I knew that someday I was going to write that story about my teeth and my braces and my, my life in middle school. But I needed a, a venue for it or a channel or some sort of nudge to kind of get it going. And so I was approached by a website called girlomatic.com, which was a website sort of dedicated to girl-friendly comics. And instead of just posting short material on the site, I was like, you know what? Maybe this is that opportunity for me. I have a once-weekly deadline. Like, I have an editor here who's going to encourage me, and so maybe it's time to just start writing that story. And I had no idea what shape Smile was going to take. I knew what had happened. I made myself a list of, like, all the major plot points along the way. So I kind of knew where I was going with it, but I just decided to dive in. And at the exact same time, um, I got a call from David Saylor at Scholastic, who had picked up one of my mini-comics at a comic convention, and he was like, hey, we we like your work, and we'd like to work with you. So um, the Babysitter's Club ended up being my first project for Scholastic, and I think I signed the contract for that, like, within, it was within the same month as Starting Smile on Gorillamatic. So it, it all kind of happened at once. And when Babysitter's Club was done being published four years later, um, the publisher was like, hey, we, we like this thing about your teeth. Why don't we try that too? <laughs> I remember some of the first school visits that I did in support of the first Babysitter's Club book. And kids had no idea what it was at the time. Babysitter's Club had sort of been out of vogue I don't mean to offend anybody with that statement, just that it hadn't been extremely popular for at least 10 years at that point. Um, So I was visiting with eight and nine-year-old kids, and they didn't know the Babysitter's Club at all. I was introducing it to them for the first time. But what they did know was Baby Mouse, because Baby Mouse had come out in 2005, and the kids were just eating them up. So I think in some ways, Baby Mouse really paved the way for me because kids already knew they liked comics. And these were kids that hadn't necessarily read graphic novels before Baby Mouse. So um, they were they were ready for the Babysitter's Club books when they came along. They both have the title or the word baby in the title. So that's helpful, I guess. A lot of kids read my books and don't notice the words a true story on the back of the book and also on the title page. Um, they read the story. They think it's an interesting story. And then they close the book and they go, wait, this is real? Oh, my gosh. When I was a kid, I was really interested in other kids' lives. And maybe it's just a way to sort of compare yourself to other people without having to talk to people about it and and find out that you're normal, which is really validating when you're a kid to find out, oh, this person's life's actually kind of like mine. Or even something as simple as someone else has glasses or someone else, you know, had a bad day at school. And when it's coming from a real person who's telling you about their life, it's just suddenly you're connecting with an author in a way that you might not connect with a fiction author. Um, and that's not to say that kids don't eat up fiction in just as giant numbers, because they do. But I think for me, having 
you know, the ability for kids to like actually ask me questions as a follow-up and say, you, you're the author who wrote this book and you're the character in the story. So I'm going to ask you questions from sort of both angles. But I, I get a lot of emails from kids and their first question is often, is your name really Raina? <laughs> like, yeah, it's real. <laughs> I'm me, it's her. Um, and I, I'm really encouraged that there's other books now that sort of fit into that same genre, whether it's actual memoir or whether it's sort of fictionalized memoir or it's a fictional story that feels so much like a memoir. Like I think of Roller Girl and I think of how people are calling that book a memoir even though it's not, but it still feels like one. It feels real, it feels genuine. And and because the author is involved with Roller Derby, I think kids can make that connection and, and feel like she's she's really the character. Comics are really incredible medium because the creator and the reader are so close. You're looking at this person's artwork, you're looking at their words, you're looking at their story. Um, you're seeing it, you know. And when you're seeing a movie, it's different because you're still looking at an actor playing a role, playing a character. When you're reading a comic, you can be the character in that comic. There's just there's such a small window, small gap. For so long, it was not easy to recommend other books to readers who liked my stories. They'd, they'd finish Smile and they'd maybe, you know, they'd wait until drama came out. And then they, it's like if you have to wait two years between the kind of books that you like to read and there's not that many others out there, you might lose the reader. You might lose the fan base. You might lose the enthusiasm. But now that other publishers are getting on board and now that Scholastic is sort of publishing books like Sunny Side Up, it's... It's really nice. I like being part of a community. Jenny and I have known each other since Smile. Jenny was one of the people who right away reached out to me and, and wanted to introduce me to people and wanted to hang out and, and wanted to be allies. And I was just blown away by her as a person. Um, and, I, I, and then I met Matt and, you know, it's like great being friends with them. But we didn't really talk too much about the creation of this book. Um, I knew they were working for Scholastic. I knew they were working with David Levithan. And I was basically just like, I can't wait. Like, is whatever you guys come up with, I'm, I'm really, really excited about it. So I've, I've had this book on my radar for a couple of years now. And it's always nice when um, the real thing lives up to your expectations of it. But I knew they'd, I knew they'd knock it out of the park. It's really good for starters. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's it's talking about some issues that children's books have a hard time going there sometimes. And a lot of kids are living in homes that are not stable for one reason or another, but it's hard to talk about it. And it's not always easy to see yourself in the pages of stories. Stories have such happy endings and stories like to put a bow on everything and make it shiny. And while this book is fun to read and it's it's really positive in a lot of ways it also has that dark undertone and so again just just being able to see the visuals of it and sort of put yourself into the character's head um, I think it's going to help a lot of kids a lot and then there's going to be kids who come from really great families and really stable home environments that are going to go oh I'm lucky you know I should be grateful for the life that I have and and possibly be more empathetic to people that don't have an easy time of things. I'm so grateful that my books have reached an audience and that people like them and that 
they want more from me and they they're not tired of my dumb little stories about my life um but I do one thing really well and that's make graphic novels and I think when you become good at one thing people suddenly want you to be good at everything so people often want me to you know write essays and they want me to be on camera and they want me to moderate panels and they want me to do things that I'm not necessarily comfortable with at least in my head but that can push you that can challenge you that can force you to become more than you thought you could be so it's it's a learning experience for sure and um, I hope that what happens is that it trickles down to other people that if I'm able to claim success at creating graphic novels that because I can't be everywhere all the time that opens up the door for other creators to kind of step in and fill some of those spaces so I can't go to every convention I can't be on every panel but there's a lot of other creators out there who can I'm I'm glad about that. So Dave Roman's my husband, and he creates graphic novels too. He's probably best known for the Astronaut Academy series. Um, He's also the writer of Teen Boat. He's got a Goosebumps graphic novel coming out in the fall that we're pretty excited about. So our whole lives are comics. From the minute we wake up in the morning till the minute we go to bed at night, we are either making them, thinking about them, or talking about them. And that's cool because to do the same thing as the person you love and to be able to relate to them all the time, it's great, right? But sometimes it's overkill. (laughs) Sometimes you just want to take a break and think about something else besides comics for a few minutes. Um, And we've, we've done a pretty good job of sort of filling our lives with other things. And, you know, we like to watch movies and we like to travel and we like to eat and we like to socialize and so we've we've found a really good balance over the years and we've we've been dating for we dated we started dating almost 13 years ago and we've been married for almost nine so I feel like in that time we've we figured out some of the kinks but we we both we both work from home so when you're with a person 24 hours a day it helps to create spaces for yourself so I have a dedicated studio in our apartment um where it's just my desk and it's just me and it's just my art all the time. And then Dave's creative space is in our living room and he's got a drawing desk and then we have our computer set up in the living room as well. So we sort of move back and forth between these spaces, but I do have a place in my house that's just mine. I never have to worry about like leaving my stuff somewhere and then him having to move my stuff over so that he can do his own thing. And um, Sometimes people ask us if we would ever consider getting a studio outside of the home And our only thought on that is that if we ever had a kid, we'd probably need that because you need the divide between, you know, kid life, home life, family life, and then work life. Right now, we don't have that divide, but so we'll we'll cross that bridge if we come to it. The way that I currently work is that I type up an outline first, and that is probably the thing that takes the longest because I just have to let the ideas come And I have to sit and close my eyes a lot and just imagine everything and then just try to put it into words. There might be a character sketch attached. There might be some sort of visual at that stage. But this is what I'm going to send to my editors so that they know what the book's going to be about. And this is when I try to kind of nail down the order in which the story is going to play out and what the major plot points are going to be and who the characters are. So the outline is really 
not a visual process at all. But then when I start writing the story, it turns visual. So when I say writing, (laughs) I work in a format called thumbnails. And that means kind of a rough draft version of every page where I'm sketching in the panel borders and sketching in the little stick figure characters. And then whatever they're saying is going to be in word balloons coming out of their mouths. And until I get to the thumbnailing stage, a lot of times I don't know who my characters are, how they act, how they think. And it's like a process of discovery to start drawing them and acting through them and moving through their story as the creator. And so I'm fortunate that my editors can edit my work from the thumbnail stage. We've kind of honed that over the years. At first, I remember my editors looking at the thumbnails and going, well, this doesn't really look like your artwork right now. And is this going to look a little bit better when you get to the final stage? And I was like, yes, don't worry. It's going to look just as polished as, as you've seen my work look. It's just that this is how I this is how I visualize and this is how I come up with ideas. So I'm really not describing things at all. I'm describing them by showing. And for me with comics especially, there's a lot of blank space and that space is really important. The quiet spaces and the quiet moments between characters and and the pacing of things. So I find that when I'm thumbnailing, I can just indicate that with a silent panel and, you know, a character kind of looking into the distance and things like that are, are so much easier to communicate. I don't think my brain would would do it if I were to say, and then she stared off into the distance wistfully, like, I need to just draw it. The one I'm working on right now is pretty difficult. It's it's straight up fiction, and it's also got a lot of fantasy elements to it. And because my wheelhouse is kind of realistic fiction and or memoir, it's just, it feels different. It feels like, well, how do I know what's supposed to happen? I have to invent what's going to happen. That's so different for me. Um, and then just drawing things that don't exist is challenging for me. I'm much better if I can look at a picture of something and say, okay, this is how this school bus looks, so I'm going to learn how to draw it. But if I have to draw something like a ghost, I'm like, what does a ghost look like? I, I don't know. Someone show me a picture, and then I'll be able to figure it out. So um, it's also taken me the longest to write this story, but that might be because I am a full-time author now, and I have to go on book tours, and I have to you know, do a lot of stuff related to being a writer that's in service of promoting the book. And again, Scholastic gives me a lot of amazing opportunities. And so when the marketing department calls and says, hey, can you do some promotional artwork for this thing that's going to go in Scholastic book fairs? I don't want to say no to that because that's going to get a lot of eyeballs on my work. And this past year has been a lot of like filmed interviews and just like stuff that you only get when you're doing well as an author. So I, I know how valuable that stuff is. I know that it's it's so powerful, but it takes time away from the writing. So it took a little longer than I wanted it to. But I mean, I'm still, I'm still in good shape. I think I'm still hitting my deadline. I hope. <laughs> I hope young creators want to create because they like creating. So as a creator myself I just I wanted to be making comics I wanted to draw it was just I just had a drive and a passion for it that I mean in math class I was drawing comics and after school instead of going to the mall I was drawing comics and it just it was something I cared about so much and still do so I I think if you're a young person and you want to make stuff you should do it you know don't let people stop you and and yes there's a time and a place for math class and math lessons but you know, there's there's hopefully time in your life that's yours, and it's what you choose to do with that time. 
And now there's more distractions than there were when I was a kid. So now you have to, you, you can't put your friends away. They are always in your pocket. They are always available to you. But, you know, make space for yourself. Make quiet time. And then I, I always tell people to start small. So instead of expecting that your first project is going to be to write that 12-volume fantasy epic that you've been thinking about, Maybe write a three-page story about your characters. Maybe write, you know, two pages of, of prose or of comics about a smaller scene or a smaller moment between characters. A book doesn't hit the shelves fully formed. A story needs an editor. In the case of Sunny Side Up, the editor was also a best-selling author. David Levithan, I am Vice President, Publisher, and Editorial Director at Scholastic. Are we good? Does that work? Sweet. And that's it. We're done. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Colby was just kidding. There's more. Much more. Next time on The Yarn. <laughs>